Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big men. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite dunk and the crowd loves it. Pistons need a three and they have just under three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is. Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network. I'm your host, Mike Inguilano. Joining me this week is Aaron Johnson. Aaron, it, it finally happened. Uh, the, the the big move that everybody was waiting for. How are you feeling now? Um, Relieved, I think is the way to put it. It feels like the Damian Lillard trade saga has dragged itself on for far too long and it's finally over uh it doesn't get any easier for (laughs) the pistons in the division or in the conference but the pistons are a few years away from even potentially being in the picture anyway so it really doesn't mean all that much in the grand scheme of things for detroit uh at least in terms of the immediate future but I'm just glad this trade is done. I know we're going to talk about it. I'm really excited to get into it. I think it's a very fun trade for, for Milwaukee, and I think there was another team that sneakily did pretty freaking well in the deal as, as well. Yes, we will get into the Damian Lillard trade as well as the impact it has on the Pistons. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this week's podcast, and that is Bet Online. And football is back Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates and statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Just make sure that you use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with Bet Online When you use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, BetOnline, where the game starts. So, Aaron, the big move in the NBA finally happened. Changing conferences. Rodney Magruder uh, signed with the Golden State Warriors, leaving a gaping hole uh, for the Pistons. Any any thoughts on Rodney Magruder? Uh, no, no longer with the Pistons. Look, man, the Golden State Warriors are just here to to take all of Detroit's their veteran <laughs> roster spots and bring them on over. First, it was Corey Joseph. Now it's Rodney Magruder. We'll see if he makes the roster over there. I know that they're bringing in a couple other guys to compete for for their final spot. Uh, you know, I know they just signed Rudy Gay as well. So, uh, look, Ronnie Magruder was oddly 
efficient and effective when he got in, at, at least for the first few weeks. And then maybe he tapered off a little bit. Um, but man, it's actually weird to think he's not going to be here considering he was the what longest tenured piston is that I believe that's correct. Uh, uh, that, that sound that without any crazy, um, without any Google searches, that sounds correct. I'm pretty sure it is. And it's crazy to think that that's the case. Um, but yeah, it's weird that he's gone and it doesn't really mean a whole lot for this Pistons roster, although they do still have a spot uh, available. So I think maybe some people thought he was going to be the guy. Now we, we know he's not going to be the guy. We'll see what Detroit does uh, with that final roster spot. And if they fill it before the start of the season, you know, I sort of thought that, um, the open roster spot was kind of keeping of um, flexibility for the Damian Lillard trade. If the Pistons wanted to sneak in as a third team to sort of scoop up an asset that just kind of fell behind, like, like the Cavaliers did with Jared Allen uh, and what the Pacers did with Karis LeVert back in the James Harden trade. But turns out, uh, no, the Pistons are not that secretive third team. Uh, instead, it was the Phoenix Suns, who I think is the team that you were talking about earlier uh, that kind of made out well in this. So Damian Lillard's not going to the Miami Heat. He's going to another Eastern Conference contender, a more problematic one for the Pistons. He's going to the Milwaukee Bucks uh, to pair with Giannis Antetokounmpo. So Lillard goes to Milwaukee. The Blazers receive Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton. A 2029 first round pick and a Bucks pick swap, essentially a, another first round pick. The Phoenix Suns get Yusuf Nurkic, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen. Ooh, um, there was some alluding, some some allusions rather to a, a three team deal with the Suns being that third team. There was some talk of the Brooklyn Nets being the third team as well, but the Milwaukee Bucks sort of came out of left field and snagged Damian Lillard a you know one of the top point guards in the league for many years and now you pair him with Giannis Antetokounmpo who maybe not I not uh, um, coincidentally said a couple weeks on a couple weeks ago on a podcast that he wants to win no matter what whether that's in Milwaukee or not maybe that sounded the alarm bells in the Bucks front office and said, oh, shoot, we should probably do something instead of running it back. So they get Damian Lillard. The Pistons will play the Bucks four times this year. The Blazers hit the reset button. They get a young big. They get a flippable asset in Drew Holiday that holds a lot more value probably than Tyler Harrow would have held if he was to be flipped. And the Suns pick up a wealth of bench depth to a team that already I think stole some good bench depth pieces in free agency for under market value. Um, what, what was your first thought on Milwaukee getting Lillard? Because I, I have some, I have some thoughts on this whole, this whole trade, but what was your initial reaction to Milwaukee pulling the trigger uh, and going all in uh, right now by, by acquiring Damian Lillard? Look, this is, really what they had to do. They had to make some sort of big splash move in the relatively near future. If Giannis was serious about it's win or I leave and all the stories and, and both of these guys were on the record saying that they wanted to play with one another. So 
this is a, a, a type of move that a franchise that wants to keep their guy, that wants to stay competitive, that wants to win more titles, this is the type of move that that type of organization would make. And it doesn't guarantee that Milwaukee is going to be holding the trophy at the end of, of next season. But as long as these guys are healthy, they very much will be in the running. You're pairing arguably the best player in the league in Giannis Antetokounmpo with arguably a top 10, 15 player in the league in Damian Lillard. And this is a team that still has Chris Middleton that brought back Brooke Lopez that has Bobby Portis. Like there are some question marks about uh, the, the totality of that team's depth of Milwaukee's depth, but they have some very high end talent and they've now paired two players two very elite players together. Uh, you can't give up Giannis. You can't let him walk away. Everything that he means to that organization, to that city, the fact that he's hung a banner for that organization, they needed to retain him. They needed to do what was necessary to keep him around. And boy, did they ever landing Damian Lillard. I really like this trade for Milwaukee. Yes, it's very tough to see Drew Holiday go. But for it to be uh, trading him, a guy that unfortunately has not played well in the playoffs once that time of the year comes around and uh, a distant first round pick, another pick swap, like really not a price tag that I am uh, going to feel any sort of concern in terms of paying if I'm Milwaukee. You're getting no way a, a top 10 player in the league elite player and a guy that Giannis wants to play with. I think it's really a home run move for Milwaukee. Well, like you said, they, they had to make it. They had to, they, they had no choice when Giannis starts to question the direction of the organization. Cause they, it, you know, it seemed like they were ready to run it back with a couple of bench pieces sort of tacked on to fill out the depth. And I don't think that that would have been the best course of action for the Milwaukee Bucks, banking on Chris Middleton being healthy, banking on Drew Holiday being better in the playoffs. I I don't think that would have been the right choice. So to me, they had to make a move, whether that was getting Damian Lillard or finding some way to get James Harden, getting another ball handler, a true ball handler, and they really did. They went out. They got Lillard for under market value, much like it's kind of how it goes uh, with some of these stars. They they go for a lot less than what we thought a lot of the time, especially given the age and contract situation for Lillard for the future. But you know what? You figure those things out down the road. You win a championship this year, winning cures everything. No one's going to care about the contract. No one's going to care about the first round pick in 2029. No one's going to care about the pick swap. doesn't matter. You make a move to win a championship. Now you have arguably, you know, two of the top 10 players in the league. And when Damian Lillard's on a heater, it's hard to keep him out of the top seven. And he has the ability to do that. Um, the good news is he won't really have to do that. Having Giannis there, uh, he gets a true sidekick. No offense to CJ McCollum. But the Bucks 
didn't end up sacrificing nearly the depth that I thought they were going to need to. They only really gave up Grayson Allen. You kept Bobby Portis. You kept Pat Connaughton. You know, you you kept core pieces um, for a bench unit that, you know, you're only going to go, what, eight deep in the playoffs? You're going to have a pretty short bench in, uh, in the postseason. Interesting little wrinkle as well is Terry Stotts was hired by the Milwaukee Bucks as part of Adrian Griffin's staff. I, I wonder if that had anything to do with it, with uh, the Bucks sort of coming out of left field and being able to whisk Lillard away in a in a trade. But the Bucks were the only team that made an impressive move. I, I think you were alluding to the Suns as being a team that made out pretty well, right? Yeah, I, I, I think Phoenix sneakily did a nice job getting Yusuf Nurkic in place of DeAndre. You know, I don't think either of them are world beaters, but they're innings eaters and they can take up minutes, throw their body around. I think Nurkic is, is fine. You know, maybe Eaton's a little bit better, but I don't know if it's really all that much. I, I think really the only case he'd have is he's probably a bit sturdier and healthier than Nurkic at this point in his career. Um, but even outside of Nurkic, like Grayson Allen and, and Nasir Little are two guys that can give them minutes off the bench. Grayson Allen could could easily start for them, uh, you know, when Kevin Rant or Bradley Beal misses some time, which is inevitable. Um, you know, Nasir Little, another guy that I know he didn't have a big year last year, but the year before was really actually starting to to show some flashes before getting hurt. So that's another intriguing guy that has some athleticism that that's, you know, brings some defense to the table. And then Keon Johnson has had a few moments here and there, not a big name, not a big prospect, probably the least important player in the deal uh, that the Suns received back. But it's another guy that maybe sticks around, maybe can give them a few things. More importantly, they get rid of Aiton, who they didn't want around. And I don't know if he really wanted to be there at this point. And they got back three guys that I could easily see playing for them. One in Nurkic being a starter and Little and Allen being two guys that could potentially play big minutes for them off the bench and improve their rotation, which was the big question mark surrounding Phoenix after the Bradley Beal trade. It was how in the world would this team, how in the world would this organization build around and fill out this roster outside of rookie contracts and old veterans and have any semblance of depth. And this trade definitely helped them there. Yeah. They have a lot more depth that I think people are going to give them credit for. Um, I like Grayson Allen. I agree. I think he can probably start in a pinch and he had to do that with the bucks. I think Nurkic is kind of a Frankenstein at this point. He's definitely not as good as DeAndre Ayton. But I think the little things that he is good at will make a bigger impact in the playoffs than a guy like Ayton would. Um, And I think there's some character concerns with DeAndre Ayton as well. I think he clearly needed a change of scenery, clearly, um, since he was benched by Monty Williams. Clearly, he he needed um, a fresh start somewhere else. There seemed to be a lot of bad blood. And and he gets that with a very young and exciting Blazers team. Uh, but the Suns keep adding to their depth. Nasir Little 
you had mentioned he wasn't very good last year. I, I can't remember if it was the year before or last year, but he dealt with COVID as well. And he seemed to have a very difficult time coming back from COVID. I, I don't know if it was a, a conditioning problem, but if you look at his stats pre and post COVID, big difference. And he's dealt with some shoulder injuries as well. But I think he's a nice young player. Um, and Keon Johnson, like you said, is just just a guy for right now with some upside. Isn't going to see that much playing time. And he is probably the most inconsequential player in this trade. But can't get too far without talking about the team that gave up Damian Lillard. And that's Portland. They get Drew Holiday. They get Aiden. They get a first-round pick and a pick swap. Drew Holiday is going to have a lot of interest across the league as a flip, if not before the season, then certainly by the deadline. I can think of a few teams that should be in on him. Um, but they get Aiden, so they get their center, a young center to pair with Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp, and the rest of their young roster. Who do you, that's super early, but, you know, am I crazy for thinking that the Bucks? Probably, probably are the um, not the losers of this trade, but I I don't think they're the clear winners of this trade either. Is is that a crazy thing to say? Considering they got the best player out of it, I would think that they're the closest to being the winners of this trade out of anyone. I mean, I could see the the idea of of, of Phoenix being that team. I guess we don't know what, what Portland's really getting until we see what they deal Drew Holiday for. But in my mind, as of now, when you can trade a top for a top 10 player, uh, not only to, you know, bring him in and, and help your championship uh, hopes, but to also keep your best player in the league type player around. I, I, I In my mind, that means they're the winners. Uh, maybe things don't go as planned. Maybe things go awry. I'd have to imagine uh, Damian Lillard agreed to this trade, agreed to play, all that kind of stuff. Like I said earlier, Damian Lillard and Giannis have both spoken publicly about their desire to play with one another at some point. So I, I think I think Milwaukee's the winner of this trade. I, I don't think they're the losers. Um, I think maybe Portland looks like that right now. But yeah. Portland's like definitely it, until they Portland is definitely the loser holiday, yeah. and we know what what holiday's worth and you can take the the assets that they get from trading holiday and put them together with what they also received in this deal and Aiton and the 29 first round pick and the pick swap then it will be a lot easier to sort of grade this trade out for them but in, until then we're kind of sitting here waiting for the dominoes to, to fall yeah and you know I, I think part of the reason that I'm hesitant is because while Lillard is definitely an upgrade over Drew Holiday, definitely, um, you you do lose some on the defensive end for sure. But you make up for that many times over with the sheer scoring ability of Lillard uh, at, at all three levels. Plus, you know, having shooting around him in Middleton and Brooke Lopez as well, it's going to open things up in a way that he just hasn't seen before. I don't think. And of course, Giannis commanding a lot of attention in the paint is going to, is, is going to just be defensive hell for other teams. You, you really have to pick your poison. 
I don't know, just something about them continues to worry me from a health standpoint. Lillard has dealt with some injuries. He's making a lot of money. Middleton has dealt with some injuries and sort of had a had an odd season last year in terms of um you know like looking okay like there were there were stretches where he didn't look like the same player due to injury. I don't know, I just have an odd feeling um about this team. I you 10 times out of 10. You make this trade 10 times out of 10. Of of course. Just something about it just sits with me like I mean they're definitely better but some of the injuries, some of the defensive questions still, I I don't know. I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I mean, are you going to start Pat Connaughton next to these guys at, at small forward or rather at the uh, at, uh, shooting guard? It's just I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just have an uneasy feeling. I think the Suns are definitely winners here. They turn DeAndre Ayton into three players that you could feel okay with definitely through long stretches of, of the regular season and probably two players that you can play in the playoffs with some semblance of confidence. I don't really think you can do that with Nasir Little and Keon Johnson, but Grayson Allen has experience and obviously Nurkic does too as, as the new starting center. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I really like the trade for Milwaukee because they had to take a swing, but something just doesn't sit well and I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, so before we get into the Southwest Divisional preview, Drew Holiday, what teams do you think should be? I mean, really, everybody should be in on Drew Holiday for the right price. But there are a couple teams I can think of that probably would have uh, rather waited to make the moves that they ended up making because they could have had Drew Holiday for maybe a, a different price. But Golden State. But that'd be hilarious if they found a way to like flip CP3 for Drew Holiday. And Memphis are two teams. Memphis probably would have rather had Holiday instead of Marcus Smart and done the trade that they did. But to me, it feels like Holiday's coming back to the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think a couple teams that stand out for me are, and this is the one that's been tossed around the most publicly since the deals come out, but that's Miami. I think it just kind of makes all the sense in the world. They're the team that's been trying to upgrade at point guard that has already dangled some of their assets and and shown what they're willing to move to upgrade around Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I, I think they make a ton of sense in the team that should be interested. Will Joe Cronin, will the Portland Trailblazers deal with Miami? And will Miami want to deal with them after this entire Damian Lillard saga? Who knows, but I think they are the most popular name thrown around and for the right reason. Uh, another team in the East that that stands out to me, and maybe this is a, a, a bit of a, a hot take or uh, is going to surprise some people, but that's the New York Knicks. Um, I think pairing Brunson and, and Drew Holiday could be very, very interesting. I know New York, at least the, the fan base around New York, doesn't love R.J. Barrett. And maybe there's a way to move off of him to get Holiday. Uh, it would give Portland a young wing, and maybe they believe in him. Uh, but for a team in New York that definitely wants to take a leap, I think getting a guy like Holiday makes a ton of sense. 
they they have some other guys on the wing that they can play it once they deal RJ Barrett. But I mean, I just think Holiday would be a really, really good get for them. You know, they brought in Dante DiVincenzo. They traded for Josh Hart at the deadline last year. They have Quentin Grimes, who's definitely capable uh, of playing big minutes for them. Like, is it the most ideal situation in New York? Maybe not. But I'd feel really good about my backcourt being Jalen Brunson and Drew Holiday and still having Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, and then one of Hart, Grimes, or DiVincenzo starting. Like, I feel like there's enough there. Um, if they can keep quickly in the deal, like, they, they still have another backup guard. Uh, I think New York's a sleeper team in my mind. And maybe I'm way off. Maybe that's not a great idea, but... For a team that's definitely looking to get better, Drew Holiday would would certainly help in that regard. I didn't even think about the Knicks, but that's a great that's a great pick because they're always looking for a star. Not that Drew Holiday is necessarily a star, but um, interesting. I I think that would be a, a very interesting pairing with him and Jalen Brunson in the backcourt, and they are not high on RJ Barrett. So I wonder what it would take for Portland to move him. Because I also like Holiday as the adult in the room for a very young Portland team with Scoot and Shaden and Anthony Simons. I I think having somebody like Holiday with extensive playoff experience, championship experience, I don't necessarily mind keeping him around for a few months and then seeing what's available at the deadline. Some, Some team could have an injury. Um, and you know, suddenly that price for holidays going up. Um, the other team that I thought of that would be really just health, the Pistons is uh, Indiana pairing him with Tyrese Halliburton, yeah, and Benedict Matherin. Um, that seems to me like not ideal if you're a Pistons fan, seeing Lillard come to the Bucks and then Drew Holiday comes right back to the Central Division and goes to the Pacers, who. We're one of those teams, much like the Jazz last year, that were pretty good for a good portion of the season, and then they just kind of stopped being good, whether by choice or due to injury. But they're another team that has the pieces if they wanted to go get Drew Holiday and make a run at the playoffs. that They, they could do that, and that would just be more annoying interdivision games for the Pistons. Yeah, it's it's going to be – it's brutal now for Detroit. I mean, not that they were beating Milwaukee uh, without Damian Lillard, but it gets harder for them there. And, oh, man, I mean, it does feel like Indiana's another team that's kind of waiting in the wings. It feels like they're very confident in the direction that they're going, and they could definitely push together some chips to to move for a bigger name. Like, they've tossed around trading Buddy Heel. Could could – there'd be a deal where they get holiday, move off buddy Hill, Maybe they move off miles Turner. Like I, there's, I don't think that's crazy. I mean, I know there's been some other teams thrown around there thrown around uh, in the holiday sweepstakes, like Boston. Uh, that's been another pretty popular name. Uh, and, and not just Boston, like another team in the East, uh, the 76ers who are going to be talked about for pretty much any big name, as long as Joel Embiid's still on the roster, like, and and they hold the last big piece of the offseason in James Harden. They they do. They do. And and 
like you said earlier, pretty much every team should be interested in Drew Holiday to some degree, but there there's gonna be a team that's that's willing to pay because he's still a, a really good player. It just happens that the Bucks had an opportunity to get a really, really good player, and Drew Holiday's not that good, but he's still very good. He is still very good. And one of those teams uh, that I said would have probably been in on Holiday had they not traded for Marcus Smart was the Memphis Grizzlies. And this is our segue to our second topic, which is previewing the Southwest Division, which has the Memphis Grizzlies, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Dallas Mavericks, the Houston Rockets, and the San Antonio Spurs. A very, very interesting division. A lot of intrigue with pretty much every team. I think every single team has some some big thing going for them in some capacity. Uh, so let's start with Memphis. The Grizzlies were 51-31. and 31. They really got just punched out in the first round by the Lakers, despite having home court advantage. It's clear that John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. are the two focal points of that team. Jackson Jr. won Defensive Player of the Year. John Morant is suspended for the first 25 games of the season due to his uh, off-the-court troubles. However, they did get Marcus Smart. They signed Derek Rose. They got Josh Christopher. And their only draft pick was G.G. Jackson with a 45th pick. They lost Dylan Brooks, and Tyus Jones ended up being sent to Washington. And they re-signed Desmond Bain, which was their big re-signing that they kind of had to do. So they get smart. They get a couple bench pieces in Rose and Josh Christopher. They're without John Morant for the first quarter, a little bit more than a quarter of the season. But they're 51-31 and 31 last year, one of the better teams in the league, certainly one of the more exciting teams to watch. What sort of uh, pressure do you think is on Memphis now, given that they've been this, you know, they've been kind of like this up-and-coming fun team for the last two years, like, oh, they're so young, John Morant leading the way, Jaron Jackson, underrated, Desmond Bain, underrated. Now it's like the third year of them being a really good team, a really good young team. What sort of pressure do you think is on Memphis now to advance past the first round, make a little bit more noise and sort of start to grow up as, uh, you know, the teams around them, the West continues to get better. Um, and they kind of added some adults in the room and smart and Derek Rose. What, what sort of pressure do you think exists for them heading into year three of them being like an, like an expected to be good team? Yeah, I, I, I think there's certainly pressure there. Last season was such an eyesore for the franchise, for the players within it. Uh, that organization would would love to not have had last year happen. Uh, I think they'd love to had just fast forward to this year and, and try again. And now they're at that point where they get to move on from last season. They get to move on from a lot of the negative press surrounding the team. John Morant having to serve his suspension it's out of the limelight right now. I'm sure it will come back into the limelight once, you know, we're into the last week of October and the season's about to kick off. But in, it's 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 kind of now or never for Memphis to say, hey, we're we're no longer gonna 
be a, be that team that's all about shenanigans. We're going to be mature. We're going to go out there and do our jobs. We're going to stay out of the negative news. And rightfully so, they're under that pressure because they put themselves in that situation. And it starts with John Morant. Uh, it starts with all of the antics that he pulled last year. This is a guy that has the potential to be the face of the league and time and time again could not get himself out of the bad press. So they build a roster that is going to have to survive the first 25 games of the year without him. You know, with Desmond Bain coming back on a max extension, they bring in Marcus Smart. I think Derrick Rose can play and give them minutes until John Morant is back. Like, I, I think they're going to be fine. It's not going to be easy. I mean, playing in the West is, is never easy. And to be without John Morant for those first 25 games is going to be very difficult. But the fact of the matter is, you still have Desmond Bain. You still have Jaron Jackson Jr. You bring in Marcus Smart. Like, this is a team that has played without John Morant for big stretches before. They're accustomed to it. I think the big difference this time around is you don't have Tyus Jones and you don't have Dylan Brooks. So you're integrating some new pieces into a roster that's going to be playing without its superstar. But I'm oddly optimistic about Memphis because – I, I think once they do get John Morant back and assuming all of the negativity, the bad press and all of those bad situations are behind him. I think this is a Memphis team that knows where they're at, knows what they need to do and doesn't have that, that I don't want to say excuse of just being a young team anymore, but it, it is behind them. Like, they have to start winning or jobs are going to be on the line. Money's going to be on the line. And I, I think this team did a good job this offseason, even though I think losing Tyus Jones is tough. Bringing in Marcus Smart is not a small move by any stretch of the imagination. It's not trading for an all-star, but it's trading for one of the highest level role players and a defensive ace that this team is going to really benefit from. And it's going to make, not having John Morant a lot easier to navigate for those first 25 games. But hell, I've talked a lot about the first 25. What matters so much more are, are, are the last 25 and the playoffs. And I think Memphis is going to be a-okay. I think they can tread water until Morant's back. And then they're going to have 50-plus games to, to, to integrate him and build on their record before the playoffs. I'm high on Memphis. I think they can have a good year. I think they can win a playoff series. John Morant is, when he's on the court, one of the best young players in the league. And now he's going into year five. Like, he's no longer just a young kid getting himself cemented in the league. He's a star. So he's got to start acting like it. And he's got to take that final leap to superstardom to take this organization to, to the next level. You're having someone like Marcus Smart navigate those first 25 games is pretty ideal. It's very clear that Memphis wanted to make sure that they were uh, not just filling in with anybody. Um, I think it's also more of a sense of urgency. They sort of felt, oh, okay, now now we have to really perform. We underperformed. You lose to the Lakers in the first round while having home court advantage. Definitely not ideal. Turns out the Lakers were better than – I think we thought as an eight seed, I think they were an eight seed 
getting all the way to the Western Conference Finals, but still, you're a, a team that won 51 games, and they kind of went out with, with a bit of a whimper. I know it was 4-2, but some of those losses were particularly bad losses. And getting smart, I think, is a, is a statement of we're going to not let that happen because he's a guy that will hold players accountable more so than maybe a, a Tyus Jones. I don't know how vocal he ever was, but knowing smart and his defensive player of the year um, accolades and, and how he's in, how he has been in the Boston locker room. I think you get a guy that, you know, does a lot off the court as well as on the court, but, but he's there to really stabilize the ship while Morant's gone. He's not going to replace John Morant at all, um, but he is going to keep the, you know, ideally keep the ship, headed in the right direction and not not sinking, you know, 12 games into the season. Um, Memphis, what what is their ceiling? What do you think their ceiling is? I mean, getting smart is great. It's really going to, you know, come down to John Moran, Jaron Jackson Jr. in the playoffs. What is, what is the ceiling for this team? Look, the West is is – Quickly filling up with with not teams, uh, Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, the Lakers. Like the Grizzlies are plus fourteen hundred right now on Bet Online to win the conference. The Dallas Mavericks have greater odds to win the conference than Memphis does, and I, I honestly I find that a bit disrespectful to Memphis. Last year was not ideal for them; it was abysmal. But they have been a 50-win ball club for a few years now. And once they get John Morant back, they have the defensive player of the year and all-star in Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, I I think this is the team that, yes, they're going to make the playoffs. And, yes, they're going to win a playoff series this year. Uh, I, I just think they have a very, very – when you have a, a, a top-of-the-line player like John Morant, you always have a chance, and man, the pressure's on for them to finally start doing something. Uh, I think maybe the outside perception on them is just a little too negative right now, and I, I think you know maybe they're not a championship team. I don't think they can win the conference either, but they can win a series, and if everything goes right for them, they could find themselves in the in the conference finals. I, I really do think that. I mean, we have to give them a, at least a little respect for the players that they have on the roster. And I, I think they had a, a decent offseason as well, bringing in Marcus Smart. Like, again, I, I it's not an all-star, but it's still a solid player to have. Yeah, I, I was thinking conference finals is probably their ceiling as well. You know, and if some things swing right, then they could definitely win the conference. I mean, they did definitely have the talent the defensive capability and the shooting and now the veteran leadership with Marcus smart, they definitely have the capability to be uh, a conference winner. I still think they're a little bit young, maybe a little bit volatile, but I think they have to win a playoff round this season. I think anything less than that, another first round exit is a disappointment. And they are a team that I thought, Man, they really could have benefited from Drew Holiday. They 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 really could have because that's like 
I mean, Holiday's a, a better player than Smart, uh, but Smart's better at certain things that I think show up less in a in a box score, particularly defensively. But if they don't win a, 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 a like the first round series again, you might see Taylor Jenkins fired. You know, you might see some others. You know, some other certain changes happening within the organization. Um, but I still think they're in a good spot. You still have Bain. You still have John Morant. You still have Jaron Jackson. That's a good triumvirate of players that offer different things between I mean, shooting and defense and and just you know superstar potential. I think they're going to be fine. Um, but having Smart definitely helps a lot, and it improves the outlook to me. Um. To me, they're a second-round team with the potential to get to the Western Conference Finals, and then if some things out of their control swing in their favor, they're, they're a team that could come out of the West, but I probably wouldn't bet on it. You, know, you mentioned the Dallas Mavericks. Let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks. One of the, uh, you know, again, a very interesting team, one of the more interesting teams in the West. They acquired Kyrie Irving last off, or last trade deadline to pair with Luka Doncic. They proceeded to be one of the worst defensive teams I've ever watched. Um, but boy, was it fun between Irving and uh, and Doncic. They tanked themselves out of the play-in race. They made some good additions. Getting Grant Williams, I think, was definitely beneficial. Rashawn Holmes was an underrated uh, pickup as well. They signed Seth Curry, Derek Jones, Um they had two picks. They did they did some nifty cap work to get Derek Lively with the 11th pick and then Omax Prosper with the 24th pick. They suffered a couple losses, but honestly, it might be addition by subtraction. Christian Wood, Reggie Bullock, Davis Bertans, and JaVale McGee. And, of course, they re-signed Irving. Um, and Dwight Powell and Markeith Morris. So Grant Williams, Seth Curry, Derek Jones, Rashawn Holmes, Greg Brown, and two two picks, Derek Lively and Omax Prosper. But the key there is Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving being the fulcrum of a of, of very potent offense and then adding Grant Williams to sort of be uh, more of a defensive, I guess one of their only defensive players. And then Holmes being at least a serviceable center and Seth Curry hopefully being healthy enough to, to make an impact. Dallas is a conundrum of a team. You had said their their odds on winning the division or conference are higher than that of Memphis, which is asinine to me uh, completely. Based on how this team finished last season, I, I can't imagine that happening. But Luka Doncic, one of the best players in the league. Kyrie Irving is one of the better players in the league when he wants to. And they made some good moves that I think improved their capabilities defensively and sort of round out the roster a little bit better. I just am still a little hesitant to think of them as anything more than a first round playoff team. I, I, the West is just really loaded with good teams that I think can counter what Dallas has. Uh, But what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, Dallas is a really interesting team because not only do they have a top player in the league, but they have two top players in the league in Doncic and Irving. And it's hard for me to 
buy into Dallas until I see that Kyrie Irving is going to to stay on the court, stay out of the news, uh, and and play basketball. Uh, last year, this was a team that didn't have Maxi Kleber down the stretch, which is a pretty big deal for them considering everything he means to this roster. I think getting Seth Curry is going to help them. Uh, Derek Lively is at some point going to be this team's starting center, it sounds like, which it might be as soon as day one. It's a little scary considering the expectations that this team has, that they're going to be starting a 19-year-old rookie uh, alongside Irving and, and, and Doncic, but it doesn't seem like they have a ton of other options unless they roll back out Dwight Powell or they start Rashawn Holmes. Um, I don't know what this team's ceiling is. I, 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 their floor could be as bad as missing the playoffs again, which would just be an object oh, disaster yeah, for sure. And would really have me questioning what the future of the organization looks like, but I don't know. It's a, it's a roster that seems incredibly top heavy. And once you get past Doncic and Irving, there's a handful of good role players and after maybe about three to four names on the roster past that, I don't really know what I'm expecting out of guys like Markeith Morris and Greg Brown the third and Dante Exum. Like it's just not a roster that 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 screams balance and depth to me. Uh, not that they don't have some decent role players. Josh Green's had his moments again. I like Seth Curry. The uh, White Powell can do some things. Maxi Kleba is important for this team, but I don't know. I'm going to have to see Dallas succeed and, and stay healthy and stay on the court. And and for Kyrie Irving to, to actually have a season where he just plays basketball and plays, you know, like the top 10, 15, 20 player in the league that he can be at this point in his career. And if he does, then maybe I look like an idiot and this Dallas team doesn't just win the division, but competes in the conference. But I have to see it to believe it at this point. Uh, Dallas was just so bad last year, and I never know what to think. or I never know what I'm going to get out of Kyrie Irving. So I just have to see it to really have any sort of deeper thoughts on this this team moving forward. They're uh, like – a just one conundrum it seems like the roster like you said very top heavy but then you get good role players maxi kleba Jaden hardy tim hardaway jr i mean you have like those are fine players are you going to be relying on josh green and Jaden hardy to sort of make gigantic steps to being you know competent playoff guys i mean you can do that but there's just so many other things that have to happen to put yourself in a position to be more than, to me, a first round exit. Um, unless you get both Lillard, or I'm sorry, not Lillard, Irving and Doncic to just go off on a team in the first round, which could happen. They're certainly capable of doing that. There's just so many other questions about them that you're right. They They need to be answered. I mean, this team defensively was bottom 10 in the NBA in points per uh, points allowed per hundred possessions. They just did not play defense, especially down the stretch after they got Kyrie Irving. 
you know, they got rid of their sort of defensive players and Dorian Finney-Smith primarily. So I'm I'm not sure what to make of Dallas, and and I don't think Dallas knows what to make of themselves either. It seems like a lot of guys that could be consolidated for a you know another star that wants to get out, and that's and that star is kind of the glue guy that sort of brings the quality depth pieces with the two superstars and makes this a more complete team. But relying on Derek Lively to be your starting center, if if you want to be taken seriously in the playoffs is definitely a bold, bold move, a gamble. Um, so I'll, I mean, like, like I said, I would have to see more from Dallas, um, see how some of those pieces mesh before I take them any, any more seriously than, than a first round exit. Okay. Let's go to the New Orleans Pelicans. Another team, every team in this division has some story and, the, the Pelicans are no different. They went 42 and 40 last year. They were a playing team. They were fine. You know, I mean, Brandon Ingram, good. CJ McCollum, fine. None of it really matters moving forward um, until, you know, none of it really matters until Zion Williamson plays consistently and remains healthy for an entire season. He appeared in 29 games. The team lost Jackson Hayes, Josh Richardson, Garrett Temple. I, I don't think significant moves. They re-signed Herb Jones. The dark cloud hanging over this team is, unfortunately, Zion Williamson's health. And until he's healthy, it's impossible to gauge the ceiling for this for this team. But I, I do think that I don't know what year or how many years David Griffin's had in building this roster. I think there is a lot more pressure this season for the Pelicans to do anything. Like making the play-in is fine, but the Chicago Bulls also made the play-in, and pretty much everybody agrees that they were a, that they're a disaster of an organization for one reason or another. So making the play-in is not not good enough. You've invested in Brandon Ingram. You've invested in C.J. McCollum. You've invested in some of those around the perimeter uh, moves like Larry Nance. You have Dyson Daniels, who you've you know invested a top 10 pick in, I think. There has to be something that comes out of New Orleans doing all that investing and having this smattering of players. They have to have something more than two games over 500 and be a play-in team and don't advance beyond that. But, but the... <laughs> None of it matters uh, unless Zion plays more than 29 games. Um, what What is your take on the Pelicans? Because this is a team that I, I could see, you know, Zion plays more consistently. It's a team that has, uh, you know, a, a kind of a sneaky high ceiling because of the players they have around him. You know, Ingram can get his buckets. McCollum can get his buckets. They have some defensive you know, strengths with Herb Jones, and and he's sort of developing as an offensive player a little bit. Um, what what do you make of this Pelicans team? Because they really could swing either way for me as well, just like the Dallas Mavericks. They could, and it's unfortunate because they really do have a very talented roster. I mean, yes, Zion Williamson's the linchpin, but Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum are not bad second and third fiddle guys. Jonas Valanciunas is a 
productive big that's been doing what he does for years and years, and you know what you're going to get out of him. Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, and Jose Alvarado are three guys that they're not stars, but they're really damn good at what they do, and they do it very, very, very well. They just have so many names that that can give minutes, can contribute. Like Jordan Hawkins, I mean, he's he's not uh, you know an inexperienced one and done guy. Like he's 21 years old coming out of UConn. We know he can shoot the ball. Like that's another guy that's going to be vying for minutes. Yet it all rests on is Zion Williamson going to stay healthy? They the the Pelicans were they weren't quiet about being very quiet this offseason. They did not make many moves. They did not tr- make many, you know, any major trades. They didn't make any major signings. They pretty much just kept everyone around that was important to the team last year. And outside of drafting Jordan Hawkins, they really didn't do a whole bunch else. So they are absolutely relying on Zion Williamson to return and and, and be healthy like Geez, man, year five for Zion Williamson. And we're having the same conversations that we were having his rookie season. Uh, This is a guy that didn't play two seasons ago, only played 29 games last year, yet was still an all-star. He was that good in the 29 games that he played in before the break that he was an all-star uh, and you know, was playing incredible basketball. Like he was one of those guys that was being talked about as maybe being an MVP candidate. Zion Williamson's health is the most important thing for this team. And if he's healthy, this team could be really, really, really good. But just like Dallas, I kind of need to see it to believe it at this point because we we have this same song and dance with Zion Williamson and being healthy, and being committed, and wanting to be on the court, and wanting to stay on the court, and wanting to play with his teammates and fight for the organization. But every year where there's there's some reason he's not on the court, and when your franchise guy that's making $35 million a year isn't on the court, it's very, very hard for your organization to win, stay competitive, and, and be a championship contender. If Zion does that and stays on the court, the New Orleans could be, but going to need to see it before I truly believe it. It's a a really talented roster, you know, from top to bottom. I think it's a good mix of vets. It's a good mix of young guys. You have some athleticism, you know, Larry Nance brings that experience and some athleticism. Dyson Daniels is at least an enticing player. Uh, Trey Murphy, you know, there are games where he looks like the next Clay Thompson. He just shoots the lights out. Uh, you know, they added Cody Zeller, another vet. They have EJ Liddell coming back. I, I, I don't know what some of those things mean, but, you know, Jose Alvarado is a meaningful player. It It's just impossible to gauge how good New Orleans can be without Zion being healthy. I, I think that's what it really comes down to. If he's healthy and he's playing at the all-star level he was playing at last year, then this is a team that has all of the components to, you know, get to the second round of the playoffs, you know, or, or be a really, really annoying out. But I think 42 and 40, that has to be the floor 
at least in their mind. I know assuming that things go right, 42 and 40 is, is like the floor for expectations. They need to be aiming for more. And the West is, again, to- totally loaded. But this is a, a, a big year for the Pelicans. You know, Brandon Ingram is, is a guy that a lot of teams would love to have, including the Cavaliers. Zion is, you know, certainly one of the most exciting players in the league, but, you know, at what cost? And if you can't stay on the floor, then your ceiling is totally capped. So New Orleans is a very interesting team, much like the Dallas Mavericks, as you said, just just have to see where the health sort of lies. That That's going to be the ultimate determining factor with them and, and, and how far they go. And here are two teams that we kind of have an idea where they're going to go, and it's probably not going to be the playoffs. Uh, let's start with Houston, and we'll end with San Antonio. The Houston Rockets, 22-60. and 60. Last year they fired Steven Silas, who's now an assistant coach with the Pistons. They hired Ime Udoka. They added they they were like the team at the free agency buffet line that just kind of picked a little bit of everything. I'll I'll have a bit of Fred Van Vliet. I'll I'll have a sprinkle of Dylan Brooks. Uh, we'll sign Jock Londale. Sure, why not? Uh, we'll get Jeff Green. Yep, yep. Add you know add him too. They get Eamon Thompson at the fourth pick. They get Cam Whitmore at the twentieth pick after he slid all the way down from top six to the twentieth pick. Um. Still have Jalen Green, of course, Jabari Smith. I mean, they have a lot of good young talent. You know, let's just assume that Kevin Porter Jr. is not part of the team heading into next year as, as he deals with some very serious off-the-court issues. And the Rockets are reportedly looking to trade him, which attaching a pick to Kevin Porter Jr., trying to entice a team to overlook his off-the-court issues is egregious and terrible. But let's assume that Let's let's rightfully assume he's not on the roster next year. Fred Van Vliet, champion, uh, one of the best stories as an undrafted player. He gets the bag. Dylan Brooks is a guy that plays with some tenacity. Eamon Thompson looks good. Cam Whitmore looked okay in, in summer league, but there's a reason he slid to 20th. They did lose DJ Augustine. They traded away KJ Martin. Frank Kaminsky, if you can count it as a loss, and then Josh Christopher. And they did re-sign Boban Marjanovic, which is mostly inconsequential, unless you love memes. So the Rockets, they they had a huge overhaul from top to bottom, quite literally getting rid of Steven Silas, getting Ime Odoka, who uh, was was released from his duties as the Celtics head coach for more off-the-court issues, but certainly a talented coach. Um, and had the Celtics playing some excellent basketball. But then you had a slew of vets and two pretty good rookies in Thompson and Whitmore, at least on paper. I think Eamon Thompson will, will definitely be a quality player. I just don't know what you can expect from Houston. They're really a smattering of vets and young guys. It almost feels like two different teams on one team. Yeah. I think that's the perfect way to put it. Uh, I didn't, I agreed with the idea of Houston needing to get some adults in the room. Last year was not good. The year before that was not good. 
it was clear that there were too many young guys and they weren't learning how to play the game the right way. And there were, were not enough old guys in the locker room commanding attention, commanding respect, uh, and, and making sure that the team was going about playing the game the right way. And it just feels like even though Houston addressed that this this offseason in Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks, it just feels like those are like the the last guys that I'd actually want on this team. Fred Van Fleet is not efficient, and neither is Dylan Brooks. Both those guys are are guards, especially Van Fleet. The yes, Dylan Brooks can play on the wing as a three as well. But I like, just cooked Team USA a, a, like a couple of weeks ago. True, true, true. But you're bringing in Fred Van Fleet to a backcourt that has Jeff Green, that when they sign Van Fleet had Kevin Porter Jr. They just drafted Eamon Thompson, who's another guard. And on the wings, where they had where they brought in Dylan Brooks, they have Tari Eason, Jabari Smith Jr., Jay Sean Tate. They drafted Cam Whitmore. I I don't know what to make of this team because there's just a lot of guys, and there's a lot of young guys that need playing time. And already there was already the the issue of how are all these guys going to get touches? And then you bring in Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks, who are going to take up a lot of touches. And I'm just sitting here wondering how this all gets done. You know, I haven't even mentioned Alperin Sengun, who I think is just as important as anyone else we've maybe mentioned for this team. Uh, He is a very, very interesting young player. And I'm just wondering where this team is going with all of these different names, with all of these guys that seemingly need the ball in their hand. And yes, they have Ime Udoka now, a head coach that has winning experience, uh, has a lot of respect for what he did in Boston. But at the same time, there's just so much going on here. When I look up and down this roster, this depth chart, the names, that I'm just wondering how he's going to get done with this group, what really needs to happen. And and that starts with the maturity and the the growth of their young guys. Like year three for Jalen Green, we need to know, is he more than just a, a volume scorer? Can he be a guy guy? And it's going to be difficult for us to really be able to tell when he's now losing the ball to Fred Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks and Eamon Thompson, and then it's going to be harder for guys like Jafar Smith Jr. and Alperin Sengun to take leaps uh, because they're not going to be touching the ball, and they're going to be losing minutes. And so I just look at this roster, and I am sitting here wondering what the hell is going on in Houston. Uh, It's not that I dislike all of these names. I like some. I don't like some of the others, but it just feels like there's too many guys, and I don't know how they're going to get done what they need to. Yeah, there's too many guys. I, mean, I, I think that's the long and short of it. In a vacuum, all of these players are fine. Fred Van Fleet, champion. Dylan Brooks, good player. Uh, Jalen Green, enticing young player. Uh, Jabari Smith, same. Eamon Thompson, same thing. Jay Sean Tate, you know, a, a good perimeter defender. Shen Goon, one of the most interesting young offensive bigs in the league. And then, and then you know, the same thing goes for Cam Whitmore and Tari Eason. In a vacuum, all of those things are true. Put them 
together, and I don't know what the rotation is going to look like. You know, now that Kevin Porter is probably out, I mean that does clear the lane for uh, Van Fleet and Jalen Green to be your backcourt. And maybe this all solves itself through a couple of trades. I mean, Jay Sean Tate's been in trade talks for several years now as as a quality young wing that it, almost any team would be willing to swing for. But the pieces, I just don't know how they fit. And it's up to Ime Udoka to so, sort of put together the puzzle of good players and figure out how to best maximize those talents without, like like you said, I think it's a great point. Totally, totally just blunting your growth with your young guys. You're building something with Jabari Smith and Kevin Porter and Eamon Thompson and Cam Whitmore, Tari Eason and, and Shangun. I mean, those are five quality young players. And are you going to stunt that growth by getting all these vets? It's a very slim tightrope walk that Udoka has to, has to walk. Because you're kind of on like two separate timelines, or you're on a timeline that I don't really understand what it is. Because I don't, you're not going to make the playoffs with this roster, assuming that you don't get massive growth from one of those young, uh, like younger players. If if you don't have that, I I don't see how you make the leap to playoff team. But I feel like they kind of put their chips in to be a playoff team, definitely next year. So I I just don't know, I just don't know how how they're going to navigate that. Um, maybe a trade is, you know, what's going to solve this thing. Maybe they are much better and Mudoka has the secret sauce, but I just don't see them as a playoff team. I, I can see them being a really annoying team between Van Fleet and Brooks and those young guys, but I, I can't see them being a, a playoff team, but they're definitely an interesting team. There's no question about that. Let's get on to the last team. Which, by the way, um, inexplicably got the first pick in the draft. In the one draft that everybody wanted to have the first pick in, the San Antonio Spurs land Victor Wembanyama, number one overall. Everything else doesn't really matter <laughs> um, other than Victor Wembanyama. They re-signed Trey Jones, and they just kind of stood pat for the rest of the offseason because they they made their move and that was using the blood elixir of animals to uh, get the first pick again and get another generational young big again uh, and Greg Popovich gets to coach him again. I don't know uh, what the Spurs have on the universe, but whatever it is, it it landed them Victor Bambanyama. Everything else doesn't matter. Jetty Osman, Reggie Bullock, it, it it doesn't matter. They get Victor Wembanyama. Is this team going to be good? No. This team is going to be not good. Um, I really was intrigued by the thought of them going after Damian Lillard. I thought, oh, that would be hilarious. Um, they get Wembanyama, and then Dame is on board. But it's still a very young team with a bunch of young players that independently do you know good things again i just i'm not entirely sure how they fit and maybe it doesn't matter you have Wembenyama and you know you figure the rest out Keldon Johnson interesting player 
Jeremy Sochan, good player. Seems that way, at least. Devin Vassell, another wing that, you know, seems like he could develop into a good player. I, I think I like his outlook the best. Malachi Branham showed some scoring punch, I guess. I, I, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of what if guys. Um, but none of it matters really as much uh, because you have Victor Wembanyama as your new face of the franchise. And Aaron, I don't know about you, but seeing him go to San Antonio was both exciting because that's a stable organization that I think would do well being with pop and also infuriating because they already had David Robinson and Tim Duncan. And of course the one year that they're bad out of a dynasty of the two thousands. Now they get Wembenyama. I just, I don't understand how they do this. It's, it's not fair <laughs> to, to put a one way. Uh, it's just not fair, but, you're right in your assessment of San Antonio. There's no pressure on them this year. There's no expectations for them this year. Yes, all eyes are going to be on Victor Wembanyama, but uh, you know he's going to have uh, the opportunity to to be a productive player right away. It, it it really doesn't matter if he is or isn't right away though, because they're not going to be winning 45, 50, 55 games this year. Like this team has some interesting young players on an individual level uh, there are you know good players in their own regard but they do not have a good enough roster to win a serious chunk of games uh this is also a team that i could see trading someone like Keldon johnson at the deadline you know a, a guy that is making 20 million dollars a year now um, I don't know how attached San Antonio is to him. Like he's a good player, but it's a guy that I could see trading. Uh, I, I, I like Trey Jones. I do like Devin Vassell. I like Soshan. Uh, I, they're, they've got some young pieces, but they're, they're far away from winning. What, what matters most is that for them, that Victor Wembanyama is here and there's going to be the individual expectations for him with all of the talk surrounding him that he's going to be able to come in uh, and contribute. But like I said, even if he is, even if he is a 15, 20 point a game guy in year one and, and is blocking shots and is rebounding and is doing all of the amazing things that he can do at seven, four, like it's not going to change the fact that San Antonio is going to be right back at the bottom of the standings vying for another top pick. I'm sure Greg Popovich and San Antonio are going to be very, very uh, cautious with Wembenyama. I'm sure he's not going to play 30 minutes a night for 82 games. I'm sure their intentions are to bring him along slowly, not emphasize trying to win. I'm sure they'd like to add another top pick to this group, uh, you know, to kind of give themselves their, their two franchise guys in Wembenyama and next year's first round pick. And then maybe they see what they've got uh, with those two and Bissell and Trey Jones and whatever else they do uh, between now and, and in the start of the 2024-25 season. But this year is simply just a, we've got the guy, let's get him in our system. Let's tell everyone we're, we're, we're on our way, but we're going to be a while. Um, it's, and the, the thing is, no one's going to care that San Antonio isn't winning. Everyone knows San Antonio is not going to win. All eyes are still going to be on Victor Wembanyama, who is seemingly 
ready to take over the NBA with all of the hype surrounding him. I know I'll certainly be watching. He is an exhilarating young player. So that's what I'll be looking for in San Antonio. Not if they're winning uh, a bunch of games. So they won 22 games last year. What do you think is the Victor Wembanyama effect? Do they win 30 games? Do they win 26 games? I don't think they're even going to get to 30. Like this is a team that I, I, I still could see winning 20 to 24 games. Like I don't think there's some massive leap coming for this team just because I just think there are too many competitive teams, like, like a team like Houston. I mean, look at everything they've done. They've done and they won 22 games last year. Like, that's right. a team that's probably going to be closer to 30 to 35 wins than a team like San Antonio can get, even with the addition of, of Victor Wembanyama. They're just too young. They don't have enough guys. It's going to take time for him to adjust to the NBA landscape. I don't know how much of an effect he has on them winning this year. And I think San Antonio is perfectly fine with that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And looking at their salary uh, cap figures for next for for next year for 2024-25 the number of unrestricted free agents they have Cam Payne, Jetty Osman, Kem Birch, Zach Collins, Reggie Bullock, Doug McDermott are all unrestricted free agents. The only two are uh Devin Vassell and Sandro. Oh boy, that is quite the last name. They have two restricted free agents next year and the rest are unrestricted free agents they could be a major player in the sal in, in the uh, in free agency come next off season when all these names come off the books so i think you're right i think they're just biding their time they're 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 just waiting they're going to see victor Wembanyama cram on somebody make a, a stupid block uh, that just looks ridiculous because his arms are so long they're going to win a couple games they shouldn't and Pop's going to be smiling, and that's that's all that it's really going to be. And come free agency next offseason, they're going to have a better idea of where Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson and Jeremy Sochan sit within the pecking order, and then they can go out and they'll have enough cap space to add who they want, and teams, or rather players, will want to come and play with Victor Wimanyama. So I agree. I don't necessarily think – I mean, he could be shut down within – you know, at, at the 70% mark of the season two and just call it a day. Um, to, I, I don't see them winning 30 games either. I think 20, right around like 22 to 25 is is where I have them because you called it right. The, the, the West is pretty loaded. Um, that is the Southwest division. I think that's the division we've talked about the most somehow because it's, I think we've been podcasting for a well over an hour at this point, which is insane. Um Aaron, any closing thoughts on the the Damian Lillard trade or the Southwest division? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think we said it last week, but I think we just we're putting together some some long episodes here on the podcast that we haven't had in a while, and I think that's fun in itself. I hope everyone's enjoying it, uh, getting you to talk right. about some teams that we don't ever really talk about. You know, we're 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 not a podcast that's talking about the San Antonio Spurs from you know october through march or anything like that so we're talking about some different teams it's different it's a different type of show than we usually bring you 
you know, we're moving on to the Eastern Conference next week, so it'll probably be a little bit more relevant to our listener base. But I, I still think it's it's a fun project, and I think I, my hope is that those that are listening are maybe learning some stuff if they're not hardcore followers of the NBA. Hopefully, they're learning a little bit from us. Maybe they agree with our outlooks on these teams. Maybe they don't. We'd love to hear about it uh, in the comments on YouTube, uh, or if you want to tweet us at Palace of Pistons. Uh, I'm always, always interested to hear what our listeners have to say. And, and I hope that they like what we're what we're doing here on the show. Like I said, I know it's different. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they'll enjoy it as we move into the Eastern Conference next week. And not only that, we move into Media Day. <laughs> Media Day is October 2nd, which is Monday. So by the time we record a podcast next, Media Day will have already happened. Um which is insane. Uh, <laughs> it's come awfully quickly. What's that, buddy? I just, I, I'm so shocked that it's already here. Like, it feels like it's freaking we, Monday. It's, it's crazy. But I'm at the same time, like, as crazy as it is, I'm so excited for it to be here because I'm just so ready for basketball to be back at this point. I'm so yeah. ready to watch the Pistons and Kate Cunningham. Uh, I'm very, very interested to see what they look like under Monty Williams. And there's so, so many other storylines across the league this year with players changing teams, guys returning from injury. Uh, I just think there's so much going on. And I am like, I'm so ready for it. I am so ready for it, too. And I and I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait for media day. I can't wait to get into Eastern Conference teams, which is a little bit more of our forte. Uh, and I can't wait for all of you. To hopefully join us uh, as, as we preview the Eastern Conference as Media Day comes around. We'll have plenty of content from Media Day. Um, basketball is right around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. And it has snuck up on us. I think it does every single year, but it's really snuck up this time. Um, but we hope that you'll be joining us. And we're going to have some season preview content on our website, palacepistons.com as well. Hope you enjoyed that. Certainly check all that out. Um, but yeah, it's 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 basketball time. It is NBA basketball time right around the corner. Uh, and we are all very hyped. And we hope that you will be uh, hyped right alongside with us. We'd like to thank our sponsor for this week's episode. Again, that's Bet Online. And if you have not used it before, you could use it first time. Use our code BLEAV, believe, receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use Bet Online. For my co-host, Aaron Johnson, I am Mike Angolano. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network, and we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.